Tell me first what a typical workday was for you pre the pandemic. You know, there's no such thing as a typical day because the life of a consultant, you, you might be in the office, you might have two or three client meetings that you have to go to. Some of those client meetings would have been very close to our office. Some would have been quite far. So there's been a massive difference with lockdown. And what about now? So, so I generally wake up around six o'clock. I'll, I'll make myself a coffee. I'll do some things before work. In some ways, it's actually very nice to have some time where, you know, I can read, catch up on the news because obviously I don't have the commuting time. And so I managed to actually get quite a few things done before eight o'clock in the morning, which is when I usually kind of log in and, and, and start work. Hello and welcome to this DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. I'm going to introduce you to our interviewee in a minute, but before then, you're listening to the first of a three-part series on market conduct, personal account trading, how to keep up controls and compliance in a time of remote working. This podcast is sponsored by FIS, a leading provider of technology solutions for merchants, banks, and capital markets firms globally. In this series, we will be exploring the challenges when it comes to maintaining controls for market conduct and personal account trading, really when the majority of market professionals are working remotely and away from the office and their teams during this unfortunate pandemic. In the coming podcasts, we will explore how firms can continue to comply with market practices and regulations, such as the Market Abuse Directive, as well as the value of harnessing technology at this time to meet the new needs and address the new challenges that remote working is creating for firms and for professionals. In this first podcast of the series, I'm speaking to Manmeet Rana, partner at global consultancy Arexia. And I'm speaking to her about the importance of culture for firms as they reassess their risk profiles, their controls, especially when it comes to market conduct and trade surveillance, among other activities. Manmeet, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So we've already heard about your usual workday pre-pandemic and, and now. Manmeet, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So I joined Arexia a year ago to lead the UK practice and to really grow out the business in the UK. Prior to that, I'd spent uh, about 14 years across big four firms. My career has always been focused in regulatory consulting and uh, regulatory kind of change and remediation. So, you know, I did a lot of kind of MIFID and market abuse implementation the first time round and then the second time round as well. And largely across investment banks and, and the asset management and wealth sectors. Before we dive into the here and now, let's take a step back. In your view, how have things already changed when it comes to market contact for firms since the early days of lockdown? And in the UK, that was late March. What's the difference now? I think now is really important for a number of reasons. Firstly, what we thought was a temporary situation is suddenly turning into the new normal. And so, you know, initially when lockdown happened, we didn't know how long it was going to be and how long we'd all be working from home. And that's kind of spread out from weeks to months with some firms, even a bank this week, suggesting that a lot of their staff won't actually be back in the office until next year. 
So whilst I know that firms in the city are making a concerted effort to get some people back, it won't be back to business as usual, I think, for, for quite some time and possibly not until the end of the year. And so a situation that was temporary at the beginning where firms were looking at their controls and their procedures thinking it's a temporary situation actually has suddenly turned permanent, at least for the foreseeable future. And therefore, it's really important to make sure that the controls you have in place are robust. I think there are additional challenges for firms as some people in firms go back to work. So how do you ensure you have a robust set of controls that work across people working in the office as well as parts of teams working from home and working like that long term, which I think is significant. The other thing for me is also the emotional toll this has taken on employees. Initially, kind of the shock set in and in shock mode, I I think people react actually very quite positively and get on with it. And it's only over a period of time you realise kind of what's happened. And I think that, you know, that that shock phase is is receding and, and actually reality is biting where people are actually starting to think about what this means. You know, what does the actual long term economic impact look like? And all of that can, firstly, it can create pressure on employees. And we all know that when people are under pressure, they don't always make the best decisions, which can lead to greater conduct risk um, in the medium term. I think, secondly, people first went into lockdown. They started working from home, but they still had that culture of the organisation embedded in them. The challenge that people have now is that they'll have new hires, they'll have people leaving. I mean, the recruitment industry, it may not be going at the same speed as it was pre-lockdown, but but it's still moving. How do you actually make sure that new employees um, are adopting your culture and they understand what your culture is? But also over time, I mean, the way that people behave when they're near their office building and in their office versus how people behave in their own time, in their own homes, in the company of their own friends and family, it can sometimes be different. So actually, how do you carry and translate your organisation's culture long term into people's homes? I think that's really difficult. You've mentioned culture. Focusing on that, why is this so important and, and what definition would you use to define culture? Culture is a broad term and culture of organisations varies. I guess, you know, when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it very specifically from the context of conduct risk and making sure that the culture of an organisation encourages and promotes good conduct outcomes. And that has been a key area of focus for the FCA actually since the last financial crisis and the aftermath of that. And a lot of firms have invested very heavily in making sure that actually their senior management are, you know, not just aware of what conduct risk is and how it impacts their business, but are making sure that their reports and their reports and their reports are always looking for good conduct outcomes, or at least not conduct outcomes which are going to disadvantage their clients or have a material impact on the market. And we can go into lots of definitions, but you know, to sum it up, it's about doing the right thing, right? This is about making sure that every single individual in your organisation is doing the right thing. That means taking the right decisions. That means doing business in the right way so that you are not disadvantaging clients or taking advantage of, of you know, a, a client's vulnerability, for instance. You're not impacting the market and you're not exposing the firm 
to to regulatory breaches, basically. And I think telling people what doing the right thing is and then making sure people actually do the right thing are two different things, right? You know, and we've had so many different conduct issues in the past. You know, libel is a good example. You know what the right thing is, but actually everyone's doing something different. And so why would you go against market convention, for instance, with, with some of the arguments that came up? And so this really is about making sure that people feel empowered enough to be able to say, no, I'm a junior trader, but I'm not going to do this trade in this way because actually this would be the wrong thing to do. For instance, you know, if someone comes across inside information, making sure that person says, no, I'm not going to act on it. So this is where it can have a very significant impact in terms of market conduct um, and actually client conduct as well. On the regulatory compliance front, how are the controls in place now evolving in light of the pandemic? As the pandemic has progressed, the types of controls that firms need to start looking at actually has evolved. And it's not kind of the hard controls in terms of recording phone lines. But again, and and I'll repeat it again, it, it comes back to culture. And firms need to start looking, I think, at how they ensure that the culture and the values of their organisation do translate into people's homes. And that's where it becomes difficult. So if we look at it from a comms perspective first, right, and different people have got different views on the communication of culture. But, you know, lots of firms did invest very heavily on making sure the values on the behaviours expected were very widely published. You know, I mean, Some banks had kind of banners, I've even seen stickers in in toilets, for instance, saying what the the culture and the values and the behaviour should be within a particular organisation. When people are working from home, all of that goes. So the culture that you had, actually, over time, there is a risk that people will start to forget. As I said before, you get new joiners into the organisation. And so really, for me, I think firms need to be focusing on how they actually continue to embed their culture across the organisation to ensure good behaviour, because I'm not convinced that, you know, kind of the big brother surveillance controls. So, I don't know, putting video cameras in people's you know home offices or bedrooms or wherever else they work from is actually going to be very helpful or even conducive to, to people's mental well-being, to be honest. And from a regulatory compliance and controls perspective, what do you think is really the biggest challenge that firms face right now? If you're looking at this from a compliance and a regulatory perspective, of course, it's it's around culture and control. Because, you know, what firms, I think, don't want to do is kind of create almost big brother in people's homes. Because, again, there's an emotional impact of that as well. But trying to retain and, and build permanent, robust controls that cater for the new normal and that work in the new normal, I think is really difficult. So, you know, I mean, let's take one example. Over the last more than a decade, really, it has been normal for compliance teams, for example, in the advisory functions in banks to actually be co-located with front office, right? So that they are easily accessible so that they can, without kind of you know, going into people's data, et cetera, but, but they, they can do surveillance by just being there and by seeing and hearing what's going on around them. And that is oh so important. And, you know, there's also the deterrent as well, which is that if a salesperson or a trader knows that compliance are kind of just sat two banks away, that presence is always there. 
And you know, one of the challenges that, that certainly compliance advisory have had is if you know if you've been working from home, how do you actually do that? And you know, actually, in terms of back to office, I do know of some compliance advisory people who are back in the office now because front office are going back to the office. But in some ways, control functions have to rethink how they perform some of their previous activities. So, for example, you know, it's it's not uncommon for trading desks to kind of create, I guess, teams teams, if you like, and, you know, have all day long video calls and chats that that you can log into, for example, as a compliance advisory person. But that will mean that compliance need to relook at the way that they engage with the business if they're continuing to work from home or the business are continuing to work from home. Looking at today, what are your clients doing now in terms of making changes to their practices, procedures and controls in light of all these challenges that we've you've already highlighted. A lot of our clients have worked very hard in terms of looking at their risk profiles, so looking at their conduct risk assessments over the last few months, you know, in particular around, around market conduct, but also client conduct, to see how the, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted that overall risk that they're exposed to and whether their controls or their current control framework is sufficient to deal with and mitigate those risks, or whether there are additional controls they've had to put in place. And I think the reality is different firms will take different approaches. So for example, you know, some firms are saying, actually, if the head of the trading desk is running, you know, a virtual call all day with the rest of the team, then that person is is in the right place to do some of the supervision in some instances. But also, they are looking at what additional monitoring they should be looking at. For example, particularly in terms of how some of their electronic uh, surveillance is, is performed. Is there any silver lining to what firms are going through right now in terms of the opportunities to maybe improve practices either now or in the longer run? In some ways, yes. I think, you know, market conduct, I'm not so sure. I think from a from a compliance perspective, hopefully this will encourage firms to relook at their control environments that they've already got and see if they're fit for purpose. Because, you know, at the end of the day, there are always 100 controls you can implement. And if you're looking at it from a compliance perspective, you've generally got money for five, right? So there's always kind of that gap between what you want to do versus what you can do. I think that re-looking at the control environment in this kind of situation, firms can start to look at actually how do they automate more a lot of what they actually do. So I think there is an opportunity to increase compliance efficiency. The other thing, though, is in some ways, compliance functions could use this as an opportunity to reinforce first-line controls, or at least encourage risk owners to reinforce first-line controls. And I guess what I mean by that is if you're in a bank and compliance advisory is located on the trading floor, you can see them, there there are all of your committee meetings, etc. It can be very easy to dump things on the compliance person when it comes to actually achieving compliance, right? Some of that might be questions and it's really important. And, you know, I know lots of compliance professionals who really welcome that relationship because it means that the business actually go to them and they catch things really early, which is great. 
But at the same time, sometimes it can leave compliance functions doing first line controls, right? So things that the business could figure out for themselves. So typical example, I mean, PA dealing is great, right? The PA dealing policy, the amount of angst it can cause is tremendous. Firstly, what's actually written in the policy, but we won't go into that. The amount of compliance professionals who will say that they are just asked you know, different questions on, on personal transactions and, and what individuals can do and what they can't do that actually are written in a policy, but people haven't read because actually it's easier just to walk over to your compliance advisory person and say, oh, can I, can I do this trade, right? And so I do think that in some cases, creating this distance, and you know, it's kind of looking for a, a silver lining in a very, very, very dark grey cloud, but, you know, in some ways it's created that distance, which from certain aspects could have a positive impact because it means the first line take more ownership and actually go and read that policy. But in some ways, obviously, as I said earlier, it can lead to a greater risk as well to the firm. So, you know, swings and roundabouts, really, to be honest. Just to wrap this up for our audience, is there any advice that you would give our listeners in terms of what they should be doing now or considering going forward? So I think most banks have had and made a lot of investment over the last, in particular, five or six years in conduct risk culture. And I would say that the organisations need to go back to revisit conduct risk culture, look at all the work they did in terms of embedding that culture in an environment where people were co-located and working together, etc., and actually see how you now translate that in an environment where people might be working either from home or you might have teams, you know, partially located in the office and partially located at home. I think now is a good time to revisit all the work that banks have actually done on that and see how they translate this now to deal with the current situation. Manmi, thank you for sharing your insight and expertise with us today. So many people lack the physicality of a normal working day right now, and that could be getting lunch out, getting a coffee, talking to your colleagues in person. But as we've discussed here, there's so much more to it than that. The physical element of working close to your peers and to your team really serves the purpose of reinforcing controls and affirming your company's culture, which is really essential to market conduct. And without this proximity and normal working arrangements in an office, Firms really need to ensure that they are instilling their culture in the remote working teams. And hopefully today, you've learned a little bit more about why this is so important. So I'm curious how you think that your firm currently ensures that you are following the culture at home. Please do share your views with us by emailing us at editor at derivesource.com. And we're also going to be sharing some additional resources with you via our show notes page on derivesource.com under the podcast tab. So do look at this page for more information and stay tuned for the next installment of the series where we will take a closer look at some of the regulatory guidelines around this area of working from home. Thank you for listening. Join us next time.